the conclusion of our uh, Satipatthana Sutta, and uh, so that then uh, will also uh, mark uh, the uh, conclusion of our uh, series of uh, Dhamma talks on, on mostly on Satipatthana, uh, but uh, to some extent, extent also on uh, wisdom. And so I suppose certainly by now you have a much better understanding what the Satipatthana Sutta is all about and what and how those instructions from the discourse certainly should be applied to one's meditation practice. Now, at the very end of uh, you know, the Satipatthana Sutta, we find the following passage, and uh, I will you know, read out a translation by you know, Venerable you know, Analayo as based on Venerable uh, Nyanamuri's uh, you know, translation. If anyone should develop these four you know, Satipatthanas in such a way for seven years, six years, five four, three, two years, one year, seven months, six, five, four, three, two months, one month, half a month, and then seven days, one of two fruits could be expected for the meditator. Either final knowledge, or here and now, or... If there is a trace of clinging left, non-returning. So it was with reference to this that it was said. Monks or nuns and lay meditators, this is, and Venerable Analaya has direct path, Sadhu Pandita would say, this certain path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting or overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha, physical pain, and certain discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. Now, what we find here in this concluding the passage are you know, two uh, well, two main you know, topics or two paragraphs, and uh, the first paragraph is uh, basically a prediction, a prediction of how long the practice uh, might uh, take, and uh, you know, to what it will lead, namely you know, the uh, attainment. And the Buddha is bold in saying that this practice of Satipatthana is leading to what? Path of stream entry, just this? Arahanship, yes. And he's saying uh, that at least, at least it will lead to the attainment of arahanship, and if not that, because some uh, unwholesome mental states remain in the form of clinging, uh, then uh, it will lead to the attainment of the third path of enlightenment. 
And so that's the path of non-return. And through this path, you know, sensuous craving and certain ill will you know, will be uprooted. And, and then in this um, uh, section, or with regard to you know, this certain you know, first you know, section, it can you know, further you know, be, or, or yeah, well, it needs to be further pointed out uh, that um, the Buddha doesn't even speak of the first certain uh, level of attainment, namely stream entry and certain you know, that of. Uh, um, once return, it's kind of understood that one gets uh, you know, this far. And so, so we have here a, tr- a very, um, very assured or very certain you know, assessment. Now, in this first passage, the number seven now, occurs uh, several times, namely, it will take uh, uh, at the most for one of uh, you know, slow um, of a slow disposition and so unfavorable you know, yeah, mental mental conditions for such a person it will take uh, at the most seven years, and uh, for one who is fortunate and who has uh, all the necessary you know, perfections, you know, for such a person it might take as little as uh, you know, just seven days. So this is not much. And <laughs> and uh, then, uh, from a practical point of view, and our retreat here went as far as one month. And uh, so... Uh, is anyone among us who has maybe gained certain uh, uh, final realization? And however, it is certainly possible. So the f- number seven occurs, and so. Um, several writers have uh, pointed out uh, that uh, this number uh, probably uh, performs a symbolic uh, function and uh, because it's uh, mentioned as seven uh, seven years and uh, so seven years all the way down to one year and then Instead of you know, going on with eleven months, twelve, or, or you know, eleven month, ten month, you know, nine month, eight month, and so on, it continues you know, with seven months, and so, you know, then then and then the same thing. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's you know, that's it. And but what this passage is you know, definitely. Uh, saying is uh, that if we apply uh, the instructions as given in the Satipatthana Sutta to uh, our own meditation practice, then sooner or later we're bound to uh, realize uh, the Dhamma, even if uh, it may 
you know, take somewhat longer. The main thing is you know, that it happens. And with this uh, uh, concluding a portion of, uh, or in this concluding portion of uh, the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, we uh, then have at the end uh, a portion uh, that is, uh, or that should be already familiar to you, namely um, that the practice of the four you know, Satipatthanas leads to the purification of beings and uh, to the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, and so on and so forth. So, uh, this is a passage uh, that occurs in a similar form, uh, actually an identical form, at the very outset of uh, the same discourse, namely in the prologue. And those are uh, bold, or it's a bold statement, by the Buddha, by which he vouches what this practice or or what the benefits of uh, this practice um, can be. Now, in the connection with this concluding portion of uh, the Satipatthana uh, Sutta, a question arises, namely whether the the attainment of the Dhamma or its realization, whether this is uh, a sudden process or a gradual process. And this question has been debated and debated many times and not too long ago there was a uh, discussion of uh, you know, this to- particular topic you know, going on in you know, the inquiring minds uh, of the Pasna journal here of the you know, com- Pasna community. And the Chinese uh, you know, version of the you know, Satipatthana you know, Sutta you know, even states that uh, if a meditator is given you know, the instructions in the morning, then by the time you know, the night uh, comes, uh, he or she has gained, might have uh, gained you know, the Dhamma. So a rather uh, quick manner <laughs> in which you know, this uh, is supposed to, you know, to happen. Now, uh, it would be nice if we could uh, could arrive in the morning uh, to receive the instructions and uh, then you know, take them to heart, put them into practice, and uh, you know, then go for an interview at uh, six o'clock and uh, then leave the retreat center. You know, this would save everyone a lot of time. But uh, unfortunately, yeah, for the majority, or for most people, it doesn't happen uh, like this. However, uh, there are cases, or there were cases at the time of the Buddha, when uh, realization of the Dhamma happened uh, quite uh, quickly, 
although we have to consider them uh, in detail. One such person is the ascetic uh, um, Bahia, and uh, it, uh, he was a non-Buddhist uh, ascetic before he uh, met uh, the Buddha. He's also uh, known as uh, the ascetic who uh, wore a, bar- a bark garment, so made out of bark. And shortly before the great passing away of the Buddha took place, namely in Kushinagar, between between what? Yes, between the two salt trees. Well, this ascetic Bahia approached the Buddha and approached the Buddha for instructions. And the Buddha then gave him a very succinct instruction, which simply says, when there is seeing, there is just or bare seeing. When there's hearing, there is bare hearing. When or when you when you see, you know, there's just bare hearing. When you hear, there's just bare hearing, and when you smell, you know, there's just bare smelling, and so on and so forth. And so, this ascetic Bahia, you know, then you know, you know, took those instructions to heart, and so, you know, then um, went so, you know, to a somewhat certain secluded certain place. And then uh, he practiced uh, on his own. And uh, even before the Buddha passed away, he became an arahant. And so in in a very short period of time, did he gain the Dhamma. And the texts don't say more about... uh, you know, the you know, personal developments about uh, the prior practice of this ascetic Bahia, but we can assume that uh, he must have uh, you know, well you know, trained you know, the mind you know, to some extent, you know, to a large extent, you know, before you know, meeting with uh, the Buddha. Now then, there have also been you know, several other cases of people who would listen to a discourse given by the Buddha and then by the end of the discourse these certain people had become stream enterers, sotapanna. So then you might think, oh well, uh, this sounds like a good solution. So I'll come for a retreat at the forest refuge and uh, since <laughs> sitting and walking is quite cumbersome and quite uh, uh, well uh, tiring, I'll limit uh, my uh, presence just uh, to the Dhamma talks. <laughs> and, and, then, uh, and then hopefully uh, uh, the Dhamma uh, will be attained. Now, um, do you think at our present time and age you know, this is still you know, happening? Uh, uh, mostly not. 
And so, of course, it makes a huge difference whether you know, the Buddha is around or not. Whether a person has the tremendous fortune you know, to you know, be in the presence of, uh, of a living Buddha and so, you know, then hear the Dhamma you know, directly uh, from him or you know, whether you know, the, you know, the Buddha is not present and one hears uh, you know, you know, the Dhamma from you know, someone else. So there have been, you know, at least in the past, you know, some uh, cases, some people who gained the Dhamma you know, relatively you know, quickly. In our modern uh, age, can you think of one person who uh, apparently had a rather you know, quick realization? Venerable Viranyani. Dipama, yes, indeed. And it took her how long? A week, so seven days, uh, just, <laughs> just in accordance uh, uh, with uh, you know, the Satipatthana you know, Sutta. However, um, hearing this, you know, those who haven't uh, you know, read uh, you know, the life story of uh, Deepa Ma you know, might uh, you know, think, you know, well, that um, it was easy you know, for her to you know, gain the Dhamma. In fact, it was not. And she's probably one of those people who um, propelled, who had experienced a tremendous amount of suffering in her own life, in her own, her own life with her family and uh, you know, her relatives. <clears throat> and uh, you know, then being propelled by you know, the suffering, you know, then you know, finally, it was a great wish you know, to meditate at the Mahasi Meditation Center in you know, Burma. And finally, you know, once her you know, husband had you know, passed away, you know, she you know, then saw an opportunity to go and meditate there. And so indeed, within you know, seven days, uh, she said to have gained uh, the Dhamma. So, you know, it seems uh, that uh, suffering is indeed uh, a strong force you know, that propels us uh, towards uh, um, you know, the practice of the Dhamma and also you know, the realization of uh, the Dhamma. Those, usually those who've had a rather smooth life with no major you know, and certain you know, challenging events, Oh well, you know, they <laughs> they don't feel really you know, the necessity you know, to practice, and in particular, you know, when one enjoys certain much worldly successes, or you know, one uh, that, you know, holds a top position somewhere in a big company. Uh, and makes a lot of money and uh, is quite uh, you know, affluent, has all you know, the comfort and luxury at one's certain disposal. Well, why practice? Uh, no. one, one might as well you know, you know, stay at home and uh, you know, enjoy you know, one's time there. Um, so in the end, experiencing suffering is, uh, after all, not you know, that bad. And so maybe we can you know, go further you know, to say you know, that suffering actually is a great teacher. You know, 
when things are going well and there's a lot of uh, happiness or, or you know, contentment in our you know, life, you know, then we don't feel challenged. Our you know, views, our behavior is not really challenged. And so, you know, why change? But, uh, but then, when suffering comes, and uh, you know, we are in, you know, we're, we find ourselves in a corner, and then uh, we might start thinking about uh, changing our ways and means. No. Tanaka, what about the role of sila, virtue, uh, in propelling one to uh, the Dhamma? That's an important uh, aspect, but it's not the only one. No, it's the foundation for uh, you know, for all of the Dhamma practice, without which it's, uh, it wouldn't be possible. Uh, no. So, any you know, ways. So, in terms of you know, this question of whether you know, the Dhamma is, uh, you know, the realization of the Dhamma is a matter of, uh, is a sudden matter or a gradual matter, well, the Buddha himself has said the following as is recorded in the Majjhima Nikaya 1 uh, paragraph, or the second, well, uh, page 479. Now, in Pali it says, which means that uh, it is the realization of the Dhamma is the result of a process of culture or training, sikha, which is gradual. And patipada means the path, so it's a gradual path of practice. And then the opposite is negated. However, But before, before going or talking about sudden realization, let's explore some more aspects in connection with gradual, gradual development. Now, the Buddha, for instance, says in Dhammapada verse 239, by degrees, little by little, from moment to moment, a wise man or woman removes his own, his or her own mental defilements as a smith removes the dross of silver or gold. And another you know, illustration for you know, the same you know, process is uh, given with uh, you know, the axe that a carpenter might be using. And within one single day, the carpenter who is holding the, um, well, the handle of the axe will not see 
but we'll, be, we'll have a hard time to you know, tell exactly how much this handle is uh, wearing down through usage. But over a longer period of time, let's say you know, several months of uh, hard work and uh, you know, frequently using that uh, the axe, you know, well, uh, then you know, sooner or later the carpenter will realize that the handle has worn down quite significantly, is so thin that it's going to break very soon and that it's high time to replace it. Likewise, in the meditation practice, um, within one single day, at times we may not you know, see you know, the progress. We may not see you know, the development. It seems like the same thing uh, in the morning and uh, uh, in the evening. However, if you compare your practice maybe a week ago with where your practice is right now, then it will become much more obvious that a difference is there. And Satipatthana meditation practice is definitely going to be difficult for those who expect it to results or to bring, to provide instant results. So there may be things like instant coffee and instant noodles and whatnot, but, <laughs> but there... But there is no uh, instant realization of uh, the Dhamma. And so we are better off you know, thinking of ourselves and our meditation practice along uh, the lines of a hen that is sitting on her eggs. And this is an illustration that can be found in the Majjhima Nikaya in several places, volume 1, uh, 104, Majjhima Nikaya you know, 1, uh, 357, and still in other places. Now, uh, a hen that is incubated, that, is, uh, uh, that has laid you know, some uh, eggs and certainly uh, will you know, once you know, the chicks you know, that are you know, developing you know, to you know, hatch, all it needs to do is what? Run around and you know, go after food? Huh? Sit, just like all of us. Sit on the cushion. And so... <laughs> and so, what we need to do over and over again or what, it, what a, you know, a hen has to do is it uh, has to sit on her eggs and uh, with its body provide warmth you know, to you know, those eggs. And uh, once in a while it will you know, get up and you know, then you know, go around for you know, in search of food and quickly return you know, to... Uh, it's uh, or return to sitting on uh, its eggs, 
And so if it keeps patiently doing you know, the same proceed or the same thing over and over again, then gradually you know, the chicks inside of you know, the eggs you know, will you know, form. And so, you know, then as they gain you know, more, more strength, uh, eventually you know, they start you know, uh, well, um, you know, picking at you know, the shell. The shell wears down and uh, eventually they'll hatch. And so, so the same thing happens with our you know, meditation practice. So we need to you know, sit you know, on the cushion over and over again. We need to do, you know, in between, need to do our walking meditation in a conscientious manner. And so we just keep alternating you know, these you know, things, also practicing mindfulness and general activities. And so then, and with this, we are wearing down the mental defilements. Um, and then, eventually, when you know, the conditions are right and uh, the mental defilements are pretty you know, you know, weakened, then uh, you know, the hatching takes place and uh, you know, the realization of Dhamma uh, is uh, there. So, what this then means, as uh, the meditators, we need uh, at least as much patience as uh, a hen has you know, sitting on her eggs. Now, on the other hand, there are, uh, as mentioned uh, earlier on, uh, there have been, especially at the time of the Buddha, you know, cases of uh, uh, sudden realization, or, or rather quick you know, realization, and so oftentimes uh, you know, by people who you know, were fortunate to listen to a discourse uh, by you know, the Buddha. And in the case of Venerable Ananda, during the time of the Buddha, he had certainly gained some Dhamma, but not final knowledge. So even though he was around the Buddha, he was his attendant for many years, yet he was only a stream enterer. And however, his memory must have been fabulous, and so, you know, whatever discourse the Buddha gave, you know, he you know, would you know, listen to it and uh, you know, he would remember it and later on be able to uh, you know, recite it. Now, after the you know, great passing away of you know, the Buddha, you know, during, shortly after that, you know, the first uh, you know, Buddhist synod was uh, you know, convened and uh, you know, during you know, which then all of you know, the texts that you know, the Buddha or passages you know, that the Buddha had or teachings that the Buddha had you know, given, um, those were you know, then uh, collected, collected and uh, uh, recited. And only Arahans were allowed to participate in this first you know, Buddhist uh, synod. Now, since you know, Elder Ananda uh, knew 
you know, most of the Buddhist uh, or discourses, yet he wasn't, he had not uh, attained arahanship, you know, so uh, there was a dilemma. So he worked really hard you know, during the night preceding the synod and uh, practiced a lot of uh, uh, walking meditation and eventually realized this is not working and then he thought to himself, well, maybe I should relax a little bit. And while he was about to, or while he was resting his body onto, or placing the body onto the bed, and just before his head reached the bed, he realized the Dhamma. And he gained uh, you know, final, he gained knowledge and uh, liberation. So in other words, he became an arahant. And so with this then, he was qualified uh, to attend uh, the uh, synod. So what we have here is in the case of uh, Elder Ananda, uh, a realization you know, that uh, took place within a relatively you know, short certain period of time. Now, when it comes to the realization of you know, the Dhamma, sometimes uh, there are meditators who you know, think, well, this can happen only you know, during sitting practice, therefore I will pay much you know, importance you know, to, or much attention to the sitting meditation, but you know, when it comes to walking meditation and general activities, all these are just superfluous. Uh, these are not for me, and <laughs> and uh, so one then decides not to uh, practice those. This would be a big mistake to think like this, and uh, the reason for this is you know, because the Dhamma can be attained or realized not just in sitting on the cushion, but also at other times. And uh, there's been meditators who've gained the Dhamma during walking meditation. And sometimes there are, um, or occasionally, there are also people who gain the Dhamma during some general activity. And since there's a potential for realization during sitting, walking, and general activities, we should certainly pay equal attention to all three of them. Now, when it comes to our initial question of whether the realization of the Dhamma from a Theravada point of view uh, happens uh, suddenly, or you know, whether this is uh, requires a gradual, or whether this is a gradual affair. You know, well, it seems as if uh, we're having a contradiction here. So some are saying it's happening, uh, or there's evidence you know, that it certainly can happen very quickly, and then there's also evidence you know, that uh, uh, it might certainly take a longer while. Now. The way to reconcile 
Now, this uh, um, seeming uh, contradiction is uh, uh, as follows. Namely, when when it comes to the so-called preliminary path, Bhubhabhaga Manga, in the Pali scriptural language, this will take time. And this is indeed uh, a gradual uh, affair. And the preliminary or forerunner path, this expression, refers to a meditator starting at point zero and then being mindful, following the instructions of the Satipatthana Sutta, moment by moment, and then gradually gaining the first insight knowledge, then moving on from there, then gaining the second insight knowledge, and so on and so forth, as has been explained already in the past. And then kind of building up the practice and... Um, gradually establishing all the necessary conditions for the realization of Nibbana. So this is a process that simply requires time. For some more, for others less. And when it comes to the actual realization of the Dhamma, namely the uh, attainment of path knowledge and fruition uh, knowledge, uh, this is uh, um, a matter of just a few moments. Now, path consciousness takes just one single mind moment. It's just one single you know, consciousness, you know, a very, you know, speci- very you know, uh, extraordinary type of consciousness. It arises, it passes away, and that's it. And so it will be followed by two at the most, uh, or at first, uh, at first uh, uh, three um, moments of uh, fruition consciousness. And then after that, the mind will go back into uh, ordinary consciousness, frequently into what is called bhavanga, namely the so-called life continuum, which is uh, a very passive type of consciousness, which uh, which occurs when there's no uh, really strong uh, object calling one's uh, attention. So the answer to our seeming um, discrepancy here or contradiction is that the forerunner path indeed is of a gradual nature. However, the actual attainment, the actual realization is something of a rather sudden nature. And a meditator may be contemplating some object, and it really doesn't matter which object, and so, you know, then you know, the mind will behave in a, you know, or, or, or you know, will you know, well function in a very certain you know, way, and, so, you know, and then it will culminate in the experience of uh, a path knowledge. And so this uh, then uh, is a very this path knowledge is a very powerful you know, moment, and. Now, this path 
consciousness you know, connected with stream entry occurs how many times in the lifetime of a human being? Just once. One single time. And you know, the same thing you know, then can be said of uh, the path consciousness connected uh, with the second path, namely uh, the path of uh, once return. And so, you know, and so on for the third path and so for the fourth path. So path consciousness is an extremely rare type of consciousness. It occurs very you know, you know, seldomly, namely just once uh, in a lifetime. And Some people have been arguing, um, well, since the realization is of a sudden nature, you know, there's not much I can do, and so why make effort? You know, so you know, just I'll you know, keep cruising along, and so, you know, um, then sooner or later, you know, this gift of Dhamma you know, will you know, descend on me. And so, the Buddha, you know, however, clearly states, you know, meditate, don't be negligent. And so this statement is said in particular you know, with regard to those who you know, believe that... Uh, um, or, or you know, who have heard of you know, cases you know, of people who listen to a you know, discourse by you know, the Buddha and then gain the Dhamma. So it seems all that easy. Not much effort is required. And in order to counter you know, those certain you know, thoughts, um, you know, that it doesn't take any particular you know, effort. The Buddha says, you know, meditate and don't be negligent. And so, um, also, as a further you know, point of uh, evidence in the you know, text, um, uh, there is a passage you know, that uh, recurs in different certain places, and so it describes the so-called um, gradual path of training, starting with uh, the first hearing of uh, you know, the Dhamma and uh, then the arising of uh, some initial you know, faith and then the arising of right thought and uh, you know, then namely thoughts of renunciation and uh, you know, then the voluntary observance of the precepts and so, you know, you know, then you know, restraint of the senses, practice of mindfulness and uh, um, clear comprehension, and then the selection of uh, a place where to practice, and then actually doing the practice. And you know, so this passage occurs again and again, and so, um, if it were all that easy just to sit in during a Dhamma talk, and listen, and this, and in this way gain the Dhamma. Then why would the Buddha give instructions about, uh, you know, well, keeping precepts, uh, you know, going to a secluded place, and uh, then you know, being you know, restraining the senses, and so on and so forth? So clearly, you know, the emphasis is on meditating 
on you know, making effort in the practice, on being mindful from moment to moment, and certainly developing concentration, and certainly in particular developing wisdom. Now, with regard to you know, the mental defilements that suddenly get eradicated you know, through you know, the you know, four levels you know, of attainment or the four, you know, the four paths, um, you know, they're distributed as certain you know, follows. So you know, through the path of stream entry, as we've seen uh, yesterday, the uh, mental defilements of uh, uh, wrong view, of skeptical doubt, and then of uh, um, envy and uh, uh, stinginess uh, will be uprooted. So four of them. And um, then through the second path, namely the path of uh, once returned, how many you know, you know, mental defilements will be uprooted? Eh, none, nil. Uh, so two of them will be attenuated, but none of them will be uprooted entirely. And then when it suddenly comes to you know, the path of non-returning, it is said that three mental defilements will be uprooted by it, namely sensuous or sensual greed, and then furthermore hatred, and furthermore worry. So we'll have to, in order to get rid of the worry, we'll have to wait until the attainment of the third path. And the major a chunk of uh, the mental you know, defilements will be uprooted from the stream of consciousness uh, only with the attainment of uh, you know, the path of uh, holiness. And so those, and there are eight of them, consisting in delusion, in shamelessness, in fearlessness of wrongdoing, and uh, you know, then restlessness, and then non-sensual greed, and furthermore, sloth and torpor. And anger is mentioned. And no, anger gets uprooted through hatred. Hatred and anger is the same thing. And this gets uprooted through the third certain path. Now, an American psychologist and also a meditator, and I think even board member here of IMS, explains in an article entitled 1001 Forms of Self-Grasping that, uh, um, that the first path, the you know, Realization of the first path, well, changes some of our core beliefs, some of our maladaptive cognitions, but 
much of our, well, um, strangeness, he says certain craziness, uh, the the Hebrew word for this is mashuke, remains. (laughs) And no, no doubt, because plenty of the unwholesome mental states remain. And so they contribute to our um, to our way of being. And so, so what we have is that the eradication of mental defilements is happening in a way that the coarser defilements will be uprooted from the stream of consciousness first, and then gradually those defilements that are more deeply ingrained in the mind will be uprooted next, and those which are most or deepest instilled in the mind, such as delusion, will uproot it last. So it is an impossibility for a beginning meditator or for a person who gains stream entry to do away with ignorance right away by attaining the first path. So the delusion or ignorance will be weakened to some extent, but not uprooted yet. And as explained already, uh, a few days uh, back um, on, what was it? Let me see. Which connect? Oh, well, I forgot. Um, the, uh, or with Nibbana and so on, um, the attainment of stream entry will not necessarily bring about a big change in a person's behavior. An external person, another person, may not necessarily witness a big change of behavior in the meditator, in a stream enter. However, a stream enter himself or herself will know know, that something fundamental has changed in life. And the difference in behavior then becomes much more noticeable when a person apparently attains the third path of non-return, which means an eradication of essential greed and hatred or ill will. And this then, other people will notice. And they'll notice that the person is simply no longer responding from a place of uh, greed or anger. And uh, so Jack Engler is saying uh, that the third path, and this is quoted or or, um, taken from the same article, that the third path alters motivations, impulses, and emotions. So things that are far, or that go far, 
um, deeper. And when asking psychologists or you know, psychotherapists whether through their you know, you know, clinical practice, through you know, you know, consulting you know, patients, whether they can change uh, a person's motivations or impulses or the emotions like greed and anger, well, what do you think? Philip, what would you say? With difficulty. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's close to impossible. And so, it very much, if you know, this is really you know, supposed to happen, you know, then it will really you know, require uh, you know, the persons, the clients, uh, active uh, involvement, and, and in particular through meditation practice. So, um, and then, uh, of course, even more difficult to uproot from the mind are those uh, other mental defilements, uh, eight certain defilements, as uh, mentioned earlier on, uh, namely delusion. And delusion is actually uh, the one which is most difficult to uproot. And as a result, and because of this, it's listed um, as... Uh, you know, the last item of things to be uh, uprooted. And so when it comes you know, to, you know, well, mental states that you know, we as human beings experience over and over and over again, you know, such as sleepiness, so sloth and torpor, well, that sloth and torpor will still be around for quite a while. And, uh, and, and the same thing, the same thing goes for the restlessness. So, uh, as mentioned the other day in uh, one of the talks, you know, we uh, carry within ourselves a lot of restlessness. And certainly, so it takes very deep practice you know, to you know, alter you know, this. Now, what's um, what this concluding passage? from the Satipatthana Sutta also points to is that because or since it is repeating the the seven benefits is that a meditator who follows the instructions and certain practices mindful or, or practices mindful contemplation of uh, the bodily formations, of feelings, of uh, the mind, citta, of dhammas, um, and who does so with satima, namely with ardent energy and certainly then um, with mindfulness and certainly clear comprehension, and so, you know, naturally also you know, with a concentrated mind, 
well, this person is uh, bound to reap the benefits from uh, the practice. And, and the benefits come in the form of the purification of the mind and uh, in the form of overcoming you know, sorrow and uh, lamentation and certainly the others uh, have been given already. And so in the end, it's uh, uh, the practice of Satipatthana, uh, or at first the practice of Satipatthana may seem somewhat uh, difficult and there are so many different uh, instructions. However, uh, it all boils down to being mindful of whatever predominant object arises moment by moment, then observing silence, practicing restraint of the senses, being well-established in sila, and then what else? Well, in certain making making effort in one's meditation and having some initial faith, and then everything else happens all by itself. Now, when you compare your um, experiences, your present meditation experiences from today with those experiences that you first uh, reported during the the first uh, interview, you will see a huge difference. And uh, if at the beginning of the retreat, you might still have had certainly some doubts about this aspect, that aspect, and so on. Is this really going to work or not? By now, I suppose, most of those doubts are gone. And for some, the doubts are gone at all, or are totally gone, and so have been possibly replaced by unshakable faith in the da- in the Buddha, in the Dhamma, and uh, in the Sangha. And so, a retreat, an intensive uh, Satipatthana uh, retreat, if done uh, correctly, uh, brings about plenty of changes and uh, enables a meditator to go really deep, to uh, take a really close certain look at you know, what's happening, especially you know, not just in the body, but especially you know, what's happening in the mind. And uh, you know, this certain process then you know, enables certain purification. And the more you know, we practice, the more purification you know, we gain, the less you know, we will you know, be uh, suffering from Know, sorrow and uh, lament, or overwhelmed by sorrow and lamentation, and uh, overwhelmed by physical pains and mental distress, and uh, so on. Also, what contributes to uh, success in the meditation practice is uh, to uh, engage in intensive practice. And this is a point that the Navendra Mahasi side of Burma has stressed over and over and over again. So sometimes people think that they can have good results by 
you know, practicing in a somewhat sort of casual manner, and so, um, well, you know, relaxed manner. Well, the re- you know, relaxation of the mind is good, yet the mind needs to be balanced and uh, also effort continuous uh, effort needs to be there continuous mindfulness need to be need to be there concentration need to be there if you know, some of the if, if these conditions are not present you know, then not much uh, will uh, happen so uh, in we need you know, a certain degree of intensity and so you know, you know well Others uh, here at the retreat center have uh, uh, remar- have observed uh, you know, this, our group of meditators here and have remarked uh, that this is a group of uh, seriously working meditators. They're really into the practice and uh, um, they're so into the practice you know, that they have hardly the time or they hardly come to the office you know, for, <laughs> for, uh, for some request or some complaint. So it was noticed. And uh, uh, this is always uh, a good sign. Also, um, when we undertake you know, this practice, as uh, well indicated by you know, Jim, we need to be um, well established in virtue. So you know, at least the five precepts, but during an intensive retreat, the eight precepts are recommended. And so on top of this, we need to have uh, um, well a correct uh, view, at least you know, some understanding of uh, um, you know, the you know, view of Kamma and Vipaka, namely you know, that uh, um, well, wholesome deeds will lead to wholesome results and unwholesome deeds will lead to unwholesome results. So with all of you know, these sort of things present, then uh, the Dhamma uh, you know, will unfold quite naturally and uh, um, you know, there's every chance you know, to realize the Dhamma. Now, when it comes to Dhamma practice and uh, uh, teaching others, the Buddha is uh, uh, very clear and he says, as is recorded in Dhammapada verse 158, one should first establish oneself in what is proper and then only should one teach others. A wise man or woman should not incur reproach. And so, so um, if uh, there's any interest in teaching others, then it is uh, indeed um, a good, it would be a good, or it is a good thing, you know, to you know, practice as much as possible and uh, to you know, realize as much Dhamma as possible before one goes on you know, teaching others. And one trap in teaching others is uh, that uh, um, you know, this, it's a tremendous responsibility that one is taking on and uh, maybe responsibility for others and um, in most cases, 
you know, one has less time for one's own practice and uh, it may easily lead to a stagnation of one's own practice. And so the more uh, one uh, practices you know, um, before teaching others, before even thinking about teaching others, you know, well, you know, the deeper will one's certain realization be, the more one will understand the nature of uh, the mind of the Dhamma in uh, general. And if then really one goes out teaching to teach others, uh, it will be so much easier to explain to them because the personal experience is there. But um, if that's not the case, uh, then uh, it's somewhat difficult. Now, Maybe this much for now. Let me conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk by wishing that may this Satna retreat have served you well as as a good introduction to the. Um, practice of Satipatthana based on the discourse on Satipatthana and then uh, having applied these instructions and gained considerable benefits, may you go on to um, cherish this practice of Satipatthana and may you go on to practice it uh, more and more and more, and may it lead you, all of us you know, to you know, ever greater you know, depths of uh, understanding and eventually you know, to a full realization of the Dhamma. And this is it for tonight. Now, we have, if you have questions, we have a few minutes. Yes, Lisa. Yes. So, as for your you know, first question, you know there are. Hmm, I haven't seen any any estimates on how many arahants or I mean how many people attain arahantship you know, since uh, you know, the Buddha. You know, well, those who attained at uh, his time you know, are you know, mentioned. At least some of them are mentioned in you know, the text, and. So, uh, well, they seem quite a number of those, uh, but then afterwards, uh, um, I haven't certainly seen anything. And, and during our 
you know, present you know, time and age, you know, the arahants, it seems, are rather rare. And so, as so to mention the other, you know, uh, other or yesterday, uh, that um, even if a person becomes an arahant, uh, then he or she will not announce it. And so, so it's very difficult you know, to uh, come up with any kind of statistic on uh, this. And, uh, mm, maybe one thing that could be said, you know, that the more one advances in one's meditation practice, the more difficult it gets. You know? So it's relatively uh, easy to... You know, Maybe, or it seems like for meditators, it's relatively easy to gain stream entry, but already it's well, or it might might be like in the case of a non-returner, it seems like much more difficult, and for an arahant, even more so. No, so that's. Uh, that's one uh, part. And um, then, well, when it comes to sharing the Dhamma with others uh, in the context of a sitting group, one point seems important. Namely, if one is oneself on the path, and has uh, um, a limited um, understanding of uh, the Dhamma, then to be very explicit about this to the others, and uh, not to set oneself up as a a teacher there, but rather just to say, well, the little I know from my own meditation practice, this I'm uh, happy to share with you. And so so thus then it's, uh, it's obvious and certainly no pride and conceit can uh, arise. And and then in sharing the Dhamma with others, well, in a sitting group, one could do so by having having a a common, or by sitting together and maybe a reading from some, some you know, reading of a discourse of by the Buddha, or maybe listening to some recorded Dhamma talk, and maybe discussing some of one's meditation experiences and thus helping each other. No. Something like this is uh, is okay, but even for this, it's uh, uh, it's important well to do so, you know, you know, free of pride, and you know, to be well you know, to be well established in sila, and uh, um, to live what one says. No, so integrity, integrity is necessary, not just uh, you know, you know, teach the Dhamma to others and uh, um, uh, pretend to be a virtuous person, and uh, then in the absence of others, one does some uh, rather immoral things. 
and no. So integ integrity is an important point. And uh, now then, uh, let me see what else. And then when it comes to you know, to a city group, you know, this also requires patience, you know, plenty of patience, you know, to uh, put up uh, with or to deal you know, with uh, uh, maybe you know, difficulties that might, uh, difficulties or shortcomings of uh, others. And uh, you know, then, and in a, in a passage from the Loka, you know, Loka Niti, it says wisdom is also necessary. Wisdom and, uh, uh, and compassion. Namely, um, uh, compassion in the sense of seeing the suffering in others and uh, you know, wanting to alleviate this uh, to some extent. Voila, these are some, uh, some reflections. And so <coughs> when it comes to, you know, to a sitting group, even you know, to just uh, you know, some um, somewhat informal practice um, in, a, in a group, you know, to keep an eye uh, who uh, is in that group and uh, whether you know, the you know, members of that sitting group are you not know, all ready for it or not. And uh, to avoid any kind of spiritual, you know, spiritual emergency. Uh, no. And uh, apparently these uh, things have happened, which uh, you know, then, uh, if, it ha if they do happen, uh, of course, you give uh, Vipassana meditation a bad name. Well, what is meant by a spiritual emergency? You know, I've heard in cases, you know, at least two cases, of uh, of sitting groups, and so one sitting group in this country and one sitting group in in, in Germany, you know, were <coughs> a person, meditator, who joined you know, the group, you know, for in one case for the first time, uh, ended up with a psychosis during the very first uh, 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 attendance. So uh, you can imagine what, what, what this is. I know. So you know, there is uh, mm, you know, mm, mental stability, mental strength, and uh, stability is a you know, prerequisite um, you know, for you know, meditation practice. And if a person who wants to join you know, doesn't uh, you know, have it, you know, then you know, it's better you know, you know, to. Um, well, to to um, maybe not to accept the person. Yeah, our group is open to the public. So two two of our uh, people who lead are trained uh, counselors. Uh, so three members. I have uh, no concerns about his ability, actually. Ah, so then. Uh, 
Well, if a person is in a weak spot, then it's better to ask, please don't come and get involved in some other activity, do some sports or whatnot, rather than meditation. Uh, but this, uh, no, it's good to no, no, maybe no, no, get the advice of some psychologist. And, uh, and in terms of uh, the content of the sitting of a sitting group, well, what one you know, could do is it's just brainstorming a little bit. Um, every time you get together, you know, then you know, select uh, um, or. Or spend you know, the the hours together under a certain topic. So you could so, you know, maybe you know, go through you know, the Satipatthana instructions. And so, you know, for one session, you know, for one sitting group, you choose maybe um, mindful contemplation of bodily sensations. And then what does this mean to you know, the different uh, meditators in the group? And, uh, or you know, during another session, you could... Um, a focus on wandering mind. Now, what is wandering mind all about, and, uh, uh, and how to work with it, how to overcome it, and so on. And uh, so, there's, there's ample, uh, ample opportunities there. There's uh, much room for creativity there. And uh, also, you know. Mm, and discussions among the group of how you know, how to integrate mindfulness into one's daily life. Now, what does this mean to you know, to the uh, individual uh, meditators? Okay. Then, what else? Yes. Sunanda. Or meta practice. So, well, well, what do you want to know about meta practice? But that it's not wasn't done during this retreat. The meta sutra was read every morning, but I was curious about that. Quite often in a lot of retreats, given by Western teachers, they always have an hour of meta or two hours of meta. Oh, well. Yeah, the take on you know, this in the Mahasi tradition is different. Yet namely, well, it's best not to mix practices. And so, so when we do you know, Satipatthana, we do straightforward uh, you know, Satipatthana. And uh, you know, the only exception to this is uh, one or two exceptions. You know, the Venerable Mahasi Sada recommends you know, that at the beginning of our very first sitting in the morning uh, that we radiate or that we practice you know, the four guardian meditations for maybe five minutes. Sadhupandita recommends five minutes, maybe a little bit more than this, to ten, let's say ten minutes. And so, so the five guardian meditations consist of you know, loving kind of, uh, wait a minute, um, recollection of the virtue of the Buddha, you know, then loving-kindness meditation, and then the contemplation of uh, foulness and the contemplation of death. And so, and so loving-kindness meditation is there, and so, you know, then as part of this, you, you radiate loving-kindness to yourself and to, you know, to the beings around. This was one, uh, so one context under which uh, um, uh, meta occurs, and so 
in case in case that some a strong fear arises in one's meditation practice or you no know, strong uh, anger arises and mindfulness is applied but it does not certainly make any difference and then in other ways of working you know, with the anger let's say by way of reflections or so are not working either and then one might consider you know, doing loving kindness meditation for a limited period of time no in general, the disadvantage of uh, mixing practices you know, during an intensive retreat is after a while, one no longer knows um, whether you know, one's experiences are owing to satipatthana or owing to metta practice. So when you report you know, your experiences, then Neither the you know, both might end up confused, both the, the student as well as the teacher, and no, and so, so uh, therefore to have to gain a clear understanding of you know, what satipatthana meditation is all about is to just do satipatthana, and no, and uh, the in in the Mahasi tradition, the uh, way you know, to practice metta is and that first you do your intensive satipatthana meditation and ideally up to a level of satisfaction up to a satisfactory level and and then when once both the meditators as well as the teacher are quite satisfied then the meditator uh, if he or she you know, you know, desires so, you know, could you know, then you know, do met intensive metta practice or brahma vihara practice, and you know, thus then intensively develop you know, the jhanas. So that's the way it's uh, usually done in the uh, Mahasi tradition, and, and that system works very well. No. And meditators who you know, practice Satipatthana intensively and sort of gone through the different insight knowledges and you know, then with the mind you know, that is quite pure, for them you know, to do you know, the Brahma Viharas is relatively easy. And, uh, does this answer your question? Yeah. Okay, anything else? Yes, Janice. Four, 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 not five. Then if I said five, then mea culpa. <laughs> My mistake, sorry. The four guardian meditations. Guardian meditations. Chattu arka bhavana in Pali. Yes, no, venu kunishi. person's attainment in terms of uh, once returner or never returner, does it take always people who are higher? Uh, may we, indeed. And then it must be no. difficult to yeah, sure enough. get together and, and, uh, yeah. and if there are few and few, yes. and so, then it must be um, There is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. 
and 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 if should there be no no one else around, uh, then uh, simply to uh, well observe one's own behavior and uh, see uh, and to uh, see what's coming up in the mind, whether you know, greed, hatred, and delusion are still arising or not. Uh, no. And for the arahant, uh, it's up to the person, or are there other arahants who, who, who kind of no. get together? No, no, no. Yeah. This is pro. It seems it seems like uh, it's a rather individual uh, matter. Uh-huh. Uh, no. Because the Dalai Lama himself said about himself that he doesn't consider himself enlightened. Oh, he said that. Yes. But maybe, as you mentioned earlier in another talk, um, they are not supposed to brag about it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, it. no. If a person, if a person has really um, realized some some super mundane state, and then. Uh, mentions this, you know, then that certainly doesn't certainly count as bragging. But uh, if uh, you know, there is no such attainment, then uh, you know, this amounts to bragging, and uh, it even uh, means uh, well, uh, having to leave uh, the sangha. Now, Jim, you had something. Yeah, um, uh, in terms of, you know, well, I actually two questions. Eradicating doubt. Is there a difference between doubt in the practice itself and a doubt in one's own ability to carry through and do it, or, or, or are they both um, both absolutely essential? Uh, first of all, and secondly, just in in, in, in terms of progress, uh, when we're away from a retreat, one thing that's easy for me to notice in myself is is um, the extent to which I'm angry, you know, aversion, hatred, uh, the extent to which I'm greedy, or well, I'm not saying I notice every single instance, but I mean those are two things, along with delusion. I can notice some lessening of that to some mm-hmm. degree and some things that I actually am able to let go of in terms of greed, for instance. Uh, what you just said about Monitoring oneself in, in daily life is is that a good those three criteria? How one feels like feels like one is doing in terms of greed, hatred, and delusion. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah, sure enough. That's you know, the whole um, the acid test you know, to you know, one's uh, you know, realize or, or uh, gaining of wisdom is uh, or comes after the retreat. So you know, just like you say, you know, how is one responding to the world outside? Uh, no. So is one still falling into the same you know, patterns? You know, is one still you know, acting out of greed, hatred, and delusion? And so, you know, you know, this greed, hatred, and delusion, does it still arise uh, to you know, the same extent as before or not? Uh, no. And so if you notice that there's no major change whatsoever, well, then you know, better you know, quickly do another retreat.
<laughs> yes, it may happen that way. So, regarding doubt, as mentioned yesterday, qualities of a stream enter, doubt is only given as, or, or the stream enter is supposed to be, or said to have unshakable faith in the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. And so there's nothing mentioned there of having unshakable faith in a self, in oneself. And, and to point out, and so this you know, runs against uh, the Buddhist prison uh, assumption uh, the, or Buddhist teaching of anatta. You know, there's no self to start with. No. Huh? <laughs> what about this? <laughs> but uh, to. <laughs> but. Yeah, to Jim, uh, to give you some uh, assurance, um, over time, over time, as one meditates and one's practice gets deeper, um, more self so-called no self-confidence does arise. And so, so that's uh, again a gradual development. At first, uh, you know, there's very little confidence uh, in oneself, and so, you know, then um, you know, over time, you know, this confidence and gradually increases. And the Buddha, for instance, is uh, you know, said uh, to have uh, possessed much, much uh, self-confidence. And of course, when I use the term self, this is uh, on a conceptual level, conventional level. And, uh, and that confidence of a Buddha you know, is known, if I'm not mistaken, as Vesa Raja in the Pani scriptural language. And now. Uh, thank you, thank you. You're welcome. Pardon me? It's not. Uh, it's not mentioned uh, like this anywhere. At least I haven't seen it uh, yet. But you know, you know, based on you know, based on practice, this uh, you know, one could say this. No, in in general terms, one you know, could say this. You know, people, you know, as as meditators in general, um, well. Gain more and more understanding of the Dhamma, and they you know, realize that indeed it's you know, things are happening just the way you know, the Buddha has uh, proclaimed. You know, then you know, there is uh, less, uh, you know, well, less doubt and less uh, uncertainty, and in, uh, in facing or dealing with others, so there's more more confidence. And uh, yes, Jen. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, you know, the it becomes unshake, unshakable faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and so, uh, not not down. No, um, in the what I do say though, 
um, in Sarupandita does exactly the same thing, is in the context of the five hindrances, the last hindrance is doubt. No? And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just in the context of uh, the hindrance of uh, doubt that you know, it's common practical experience among meditators that they have, um, they may have uh, you know, doubt in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha, and in many cases, if not most cases, doubts in, the, in their own ability to do the practice. So that frequently occurs. And so. Yes. It's still, it's still, it's still the same you know, mental factor, you know, but, so, um, you know, under the qualities of a stream entrance, sotapanasa angani, you will not find uh, um, you know, self-doubt, uh, uh, you know, eradication of self-doubt. This is not mentioned there. Oh, a little bit of that might still be there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, at least well, the doubts, you know, one's, you know, one's faith in the Buddha, Dhamma, and Sangha you know, becomes unshakable. You know? And as for you know, one's own abilities to do the practice, that's an, uh, a kind of a, a relative matter. And no. Uh, and let's say with a tendency towards more and more self you know, confidence. I, know, I have a question about the sangha. Eh. Um, originally, it meant the the original group of five uh, um, uh, colleagues of, of the Buddha. That, uh, but it, uh, we. One of the three refuges, and how broad, how how wide, how deep is the uh, is the definition of sangha? Is the meaning of sangha? Mm. No, no, no. Let me correct. The, 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 the strictest uh, the strictest definition for you know, the term sangha is uh, uh, as follows, namely um, the noble Arya sangha. So the community of noble persons, those who've attained to some supermundane state, and uh, whether monastic or not. And then the term Sangha also um, uh, is used with reference to the ordained Sangha, so the monastics, whether they are ordained, whether they have gained supermundane knowledge or not, it doesn't matter. And then, um, the in a wider, now modern usage of the word, we find that all who are practicing the meditation form the sangha. But that's, you know, that is an interpretation that, for instance, in Burma, wouldn't be too welcome. to understand what it means to take refuge 
So, so the community of noble beings who, whether past, present, and past, present, and future, I believe, um, who have attained or have attained uh, the Dhamma, the super mundane Dhamma, noble Dhamma. And so including, including uh, lay people, if they have attained. So I have a, another definition. Eh? Uh, that Sangha refers only to those who lived in the Buddha's time, and those who came later are the representatives of the original Sangha. Oh. Who who? At the time of eh. the, it was clear who the sangha was, but eh. uh, it it became less and less clear, as you exactly pointed out. So the definitions were eh. well, to add to your point that you're making here, the original group of followers of the Buddha consisted of what? Of putujanas or of uh, <laughs> of stream entrance? All of them. Uh, I mean, they all the four levels plus people who. Mm. The original, you know, let's say, the first maybe five hundred disciples or so, they were all arahants, no? And uh, you know, and back then, you know, because they were all you know, highly purified beings, there were no major. You know, problems in, in terms of winning, in terms of a monastic code and uh, behavior. And you know, things changed only you know, when you know, then people started entering the Sangha who you know, didn't uh, have uh, you know, any you know, major attainments. And so, you know, then the impurities came in. Also, when the Buddha was there, um, there was no doubt that when he considered somebody an Arahant, the person was an Arahant. But uh, after this, this passage, he, it's very difficult for people to who will consider who an Arahant. Mm. Someone told me about the person in Burma who was declared an Arahant, and a few years, la- years later he disrobed and got married, and he now lived there with children and family. Mm. So the, the, it's, it, it gets kind of more and more uh, tenuous be very precise. Uh, right. And that definition that you mentioned, who who wrote that? I wonder if I saw it somewhere in Bhikkhu Bodhi, but I'm not oh. sure. Uh, I've never seen that. Okay. <coughs> so maybe this much for tonight.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.